Now in this uh, meditation, we will uh, start with uh, the stabilizing meditation. And uh, the object I will invite you to is to feel the aliveness in your hands. And, uh, and then uh, towards the end of this meditation, which will, about, will be about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, uh, I will uh, invite you to you know, slide a bit and open into shamatha without object, choiceless open awareness, just, just to play a bit with this. Yeah, so the first is uh, that you adjust your posture a bit, so you sit comfortable, and there's a grounding aspect. And then you just take a few moments to notice how you're doing, how it is to be here. So you start to shift your attention into your inner life. And you can slide on the breath into the body. Yeah, and then with the out-breath, yes. And this is uh, welcoming, so you welcome yourself. You welcome your own energy. Even if what you find is not that great, So even then, and with the in-breath, you embrace that. And with the out-breath, you let go of the control freak. And notice how the chair carries you. And you let yourself be carried. So the belly softens and the shoulders soften because there's nothing to do. shifting gear from the doing to the being mode. Dropping into the body, into the trunk of your body. And then with the next in-breath, I invite you to slide down your arms into your hands. So you breathe into your hands. So it's a bit of breathing, attention to the breath, but the main emphasis is on feeling the energy in your hands.
in the palm and the fingers. It's not concentration, it's bathing. Bathing in the sensations. So with the in-breath sliding into your hands and being curious about the energy in your hands. And maybe you don't feel much and that's completely fine. Feel the aliveness in your hands. And then with the out-breath you relax even deeper. And of course, thoughts continue to arise, but you are in your hands. You unhook from thought. And if you find yourself fused with thought, you fall back into your hands. Instead of dancing, dancing with your thoughts, you dance with your hands. So now maybe you have still a sense of that you are up in your head and you're looking down onto your hands. Let go of that. You're not living in your head. Drop into your hands. Feel the hands from inside. Let go of the mental image of the hands. We are not meditating on the mental image of the hands. The object is the sensations, the energy. Breathe into that. Go deeper than the mental image of the hands. And with the out-breath you open the hands, you soften the hands. And when you soften your hands, your whole body can relax a bit more. Now notice something you have not noticed before. returning, returning and resting in the hands. And with the out-breath opening like a flower, letting go. Let go of the mental image of the hands.
So now this is practicing shamatha with an object. So now we are opening our awareness, so you spread your awareness into the whole body, from the toes to the top of your head. You open all your senses, so when your eyes are closed, that's mainly the hearing, the feeling, thoughts, open and you could initially use the image of the beach and the ocean. So maybe there's still a bit of stabilization with the hands so that you don't get lost completely. But now you open all around. You feel the room, you feel the people around you. And it is like standing by the beach and watching the waves coming and going. And then if it becomes too much and you get lost, you drop back into your hands. You stabilize again. And then open choiceless awareness, panoramic awareness. within which this voice comes and goes, and the breath comes and goes, all the sensations in your body come and go, your feelings, the mood you're in, the sense of the people around you, the sense of this room, and then also what you see. this open awareness, neither picking nor choosing, neither rejecting nor indulging, but letting this moment be exactly what it is, non-controlling, non-interfering, non-manipulating, non-fixing. openness, space.
think returning. <coughs> returning when you get fused, entangled, carried away, and then you drop back into your hands. Get a sense a bit of this focus, open focus. practice of open choices awareness, you don't do anything. You're not focusing on anything. <coughs> You're not trying to get somewhere. You're just resting. Letting the waves come and go. No complaining. You need to let go of the need to feel good this practice. Letting go of the need to feel good. Loving awareness. Loving choiceless awareness. Meditating like the sky, being the sky. The heart like the sky, the heart like the sky. And from the big heart, nothing is excluded. Even when what you find is not that great. Letting this moment be what it is exactly what it is. Shamatha without object. With the possibility of a bit of stabilizing with the hands.
also here. What you need to discover is you know, a healthy balance, what works for you, and it will be different from each person here, but also from your own, you know, from your own rhythm, from your own <coughs> where you are in your life. Uh, so sometimes you will feel, ah, it's really wholesome to, to do a bit of stabilizing meditation. And some of us are really naturally somehow attracted by the practice of open choiceless awareness. And it's not that the one is better than the other. It's really about uh, following your own preferences. And it takes time to play with this and, and, and find your way in it. So, a uh, few words about the second category and then there's some time for question. So the next, uh, the other category is analytical meditation and there's two, two uh, two kinds of analytical meditation. The first one is contemplation. So contemplation is uh, a, kind of a, a kind of meditation which is not so common or not so known. And sometimes when I lead analytical meditation in that category of contemplation, People feel a bit like, huh? but that's, what is this? This is not meditation. Um, but I'm, I, I will share some of the contemplative meditations with you in these evenings. And an example, a good example of a contemplation is the contemplation on death. So, of course, we all know that we have to die and we all know that we don't know when. But is it in our guts? Is it really uh, impressing us? It is, is it really making us live an authentic life, a, a courageous life? Uh, so yes, we have understood that we are going to die, but do we maybe still waste time with silly things. Are we really like, you know, singing our song, writing our poem? Or are we compromising? Are we in places where we already know we should leave? But we, we don't dare. Because we think we have a lot of time. We can do it next year. So contemplating death is very, very, very important. Because it will, it will be your friend, death, which will make you passionate about life. So now how, take we t how, how do we take our death as a friend, and how do we take death too serious without freaking out? Yeah. So, 
And that's where this contemplation on death comes in. So a contemplation would be a kind of guided, first guided, and then by yourself, contemplating, thinking about it, pondering it. But not like just in the head, but really like letting to sink it in, like kind of diving into the feelings, you know, being there with your whole body. And there's traditional structures on how to contemplate this. And I, I, I'm going to lead one of these meditations. One of them is called the nine-point death meditation. So, and then you have this structure, and then, uh, then, you know, you, you, you are guided through, yes, we all have to die. Everyone here has to die. And uh, nothing can, can protect us from that. It does not matter if we are young, if we are healthy. That does not mean that we die late after our sick and old grandfather. So, and then we don't know when. Yeah? That's even more difficult to understand that, or to kind of not only to understand. Of course, we understand when I'm saying we don't know when we die. Maybe this is your last, maybe this evening is your last opportunity in this life to recognize innermost awareness. Hurry up, man! <laughs> That's why I need to talk about innermost awareness all the time. Because that's the most important thing. So that is contemplation. And you, you do this contemplation in a rhythm that you kind of, you go through some reasoning, through some images, and then you pause and you really let it sink in. Now the, the Tibetan word for meditation is gom. And gom means to familiarize yourself with. So you familiarize yourself with something in meditation. And what you familiarize yourself with uh, in, the, in the contemplation on death is this, this uh, wow, yeah, this moment, this day is precious. Am I doing what is really important for me? And what is that? What is it what is really important for me? What does really matter for me in my life? And, and so, and then, then you think like that, but what is important in analytical meditation, you, you make it an experience. It's like your hands stand, your hair stand on end. Uh, yeah? Like, it's not like just, okay, everyone has to die. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, everyone has to die. Yeah? Like a, a head on a stick. No, it's not like this. In analytical meditation, you feel it in, you, 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 <coughs> You, you, you become it. And then, I said that in the beginning, you have learned this, what is to learn in this meditation, when other people start to notice. Then you have learned something. Before it's just ideas. 
and you have understood something and you can say the words, but you have not learned something. So that's analytical meditation, and uh, this is a very, uh, uh, a very um, important practice within the Galuk tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. So there's four lineages or four schools in Tibetan Buddhism, and one of them is the Galuk tradition. That's where I was trained as a monk. It's the tradition of the Dalai Lama, and they use a lot. They they lose they use this analytical meditation a lot, and there's a system how they are arranged. So a logical system, which is called the lamrim. It's lamrim means the gradient path to enlightenment. For example, the 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 first one of the first analytical meditation in this structure is the meditation on the precious human life. So that's a meditation on the resources you have. You know, to really, like, wow, you know, I have food, I have water, I have shelter, I have books, I have friends, I, I have this access to the teachings on innermost awareness. I, this is like, I mean, to win in the lottery is nothing. To, I mean, it's nothing. So that's the precious human life. But then comes the second meditation, that's the contemplation on death. So, yes, you have this precious life, but you don't know how long you, ha you will have it. So it, in it gets, uh, so it increases an urgency in you. So, and that's how this, the Lamrim is structured, like they build up on each other. Yeah? We will look into that in about two years. <laughs> I think I'm getting a, a bit slow. Uh, so that's the one. And the, the second uh, is the Vipassana. Vipassana or, or Vipassana. Inside meditation. So now we get into the wisdom part of the teachings. Now we're getting we're getting a bit closer to the recognition of innermost awareness. Because in the Tibetan tradition, vipassana practice is the recognition of innermost awareness. So the word vipassana has different meanings in different traditions. So inside meditation means you explore reality. You, know, you, you go deep into the experience. Because what the Buddha saw, not only the Buddha, but you know, people who have who woke up, what they saw is that we distort reality and that's why we suffer. We are confused. We distort reality. We suffer because we, we project something out there and in here which is an exaggeration. And, and this dualistic split, this idea that there is a separate solid I in here and a solid separate world out there, that Projection, that distortion is the cause for our suffering. This is the cause for war. This is the cause for self-centeredness. So what we need to do is, all we need to do actually to wake up is 
to look deeply and see how things really exist. That's all we need to do. We don't need to believe anything or... No, we just need to look ourselves. We, we need to look through our own projections. And that's what you do in Vipassana practice and Vipassana practice. And it's called analytical meditation because it's like, it's not analytical in the sense that you think. That's not this kind of analytical meditation. This analytical meditation is a looking. Looking yourself. And this looking you need to learn. It's a very, it's a specific way of looking. So you need to learn with what to look, how to look, and into what to look. No? With, what, with what to look, and how to look, and where to look. That's what you need to learn. And different Buddhist schools have different ideas about that. So that's, uh, uh, that's now this kind of simple, there's other ca- ways to categorize meditation. So this is just one way. Um, but now you have a kind of, uh, you have these four categories. No? Shamatha with object, without object, and then analytical meditation in this uh, contemplation contemplative style and then in the vipassana, in the inside meditation style. So now, whatever meditation we will explore, and we will explore meditations from these four categories, you will have a kind of place to put it. Ah, that belongs into that category. And now I, I see how this, where that fits. Yeah? And whatever kind of meditation you learned, uh, then, uh, then you know, ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I've learned, for example, I, I, I learned a mantra. Yeah? So what is mantra? No, using a mantra. That is stabilizing meditation. It's stabilizing meditation with a sound. Yeah. Or you have been practicing vipassana in the Theravada style. So you have been looking, for example, into the non-static and permanent nature of the body, uh, of the sensations in your body. So that would be a vipassana practice in the Theravada style. So that's where it belongs, you know, that kind of practice. If you have done a Goenka retreat, or uh, then that's that practice. So in the Goenka retreat, you would start with Stabilizing with, the, with an object, you would use the sensation in the nostrils. That's the object they use. And then in the second part of the retreat, you would go into the vipassana practice by exploring the impermanent, non-static nature of the sensations in your body. So that's it. Are there any questions, comments about what I said? Confusions? Something which came up for you? Yes? Um, the asana is the sensations in the body. Can it be the chakras? Yeah. So the, 
the you can't in one way you can't really uh, they are not really like completely two different things shamatha without your object and vipassana they they come together like let's say you you explore the sensation in one chakra like in the heart chakra so so you you explore that uh, so of course there is the shamatha aspect because you start to focus on the on the object so that's the shamatha part but then if you really if you start to analyze it so that means you look deeply like you 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 not only keep a stable mind but you actually you are curious oh what's happening there mm, how does it feel where is it moving so and then you become aware of the impermanence of the that there's movement that it is actually not, nothing solid so then then you are actually in the vipassana practice but of course it's also a shamatha practice at the same time and, and the same is uh, when you do contemplation more stable your mind is in contemplation so more more you have cultivated stability more you have cultivated shamatha more powerful the contemplation will be i mean if you are going to do a meditation on the death and your mind goes all over the place then then it's it will not be very uh, it will not be very impressive for you because instead of thinking about death you will think about lunch yeah and then the death meditation is not so and why is that happening no why can't we stay on one topic because our mind is all over the place we are all we are all suffering from an attention disorder that's why we that's why it's so difficult for us to stay with one object in in meditation so all meditations even you could say the meditation no yes you can say you can say even the meditation on innermost awareness more stable your mind is more mind blowing more more awakening more awakening will happen in that kind of meditation yeah any other Yes. <clears throat> Regarding the contemplation on the death, doesn't that result in the clinging to life? You understand what I mean? That oh, this could be that the last day or my last minute. I must <coughs> take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, you mean it can uh, it can stress or it can yes yeah no <laughs> no <laughs> i mean is is this life so important mm. uh, that i must focus mm. everything on it yeah can i just relax see everything as a, as a wheel or a change or... Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can. It could be very... It could be you know, what you describe now, like, can't I just relax? 
that could be actually a, a result of a death meditation, like, so what is really important, you know, so what is important in your life, what, what, what do you want to, what do you want to use this moment for, and it sounds reasonable to say, yeah, to relax and to just be here and to give up all projects, yeah? so, so, that makes, so that makes sense. Uh, but on the other hand, it might be that some people need to have a kind of, you know, come on, get your ass from, from your couch, yeah? get, get moved, do something. And so you're wasting your life. You're wasting your life by playing video games. I'm not saying that it's necessary only a waste of time to play video games, but I, I guess we can recognize that, that sometimes we get hooked in activities which are, which are not wholesome for us, and, and we know it, we feel it. So then, in that, in that case, it might be helpful but the problem with the death meditation is, well, one of the challenges with the death meditation is we are so anxious and we have not enough trust in what you just said, that there is this goodness, there is the Buddha nature, that in one way you could say everything is just fine as it is. We don't have trust in that. We, don't, like, we are not connected with that so much. So when we meditate on death, what could happen is that it, it feels like it makes us feel stressed or guilty or oh I'm I'm wasting my life I need to uh, yeah or or so then then the purpose of the death meditation is not to make us more anxious and and more more afraid and uh, more doubting ourselves the purpose of the meditation is to empower you to inspire you. And when that is not happening, then you notice it, and then you might need to go back to the first meditation, to the first analytical meditation. That's the meditation on the precious human life. So these meditations, they are tools. No, they are tools, and you, you apply them, and you notice what happens, and then you notice, uh-oh, this is going into a not wholesome direction, so I need to adjust it a bit. And then you do that. This is really, a, this is an important topic and something we need to talk about at one point. There's many things we need to talk about, but one of the things is all these practices and these teachings in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition they are based on the fundamental fact and experience of your indestructible goodness, of your indestructible, incorruptible purity. And based on that, there can be a bit of, you know, sometimes a bit of a stick, sometimes a bit of a carrot, yeah? But it needs to be based on that experience. And since this is weak in us, when we get a bit of a stick from the, from the death meditation, it freaks us out. Now, a Tibetan uh, who has grown up, 
who grows up in, in a culture of knowing that we are basically good and healthy and and that we all that we all are that we all have Buddha nature, they can take the stick because you know they they don't get into that neurotic guilt. I'm not good enough. Something is broken in me. I'm ashamed about myself. Oh, there's a monster sitting in me. Oh, uh, better not look inside. There's something horrible there. Oh, if some, oh, if other people would know what I think and I feel, this is all. This is mental sickness. Uh, so this is uh, it's tricky, and that's one of our. This is one of our responsibilities to translate and to bring these teachings into our wounded psyche without no, not damaging it more. And this can easily happen because these teachings were, uh, were kept and, and transmitted for many centuries in a completely different kind of people. In a different, in a completely different kind of paradigm of what a human being is. So we can't just take these meditations and these teachings. And I see that again and again how people are damaged, or they damage themselves, or they make their experience worse through the Tibetan Buddhist teachings. important to be careful to, to really understand that all the teachings they are meant to wake us up they are meant to liberate us not to make our life more difficult more heavy and, and, and more like judgmental more judgmental towards ourselves and others that's what fundamentalists <coughs> do they become more judgmental instead of more open and relaxed and easygoing with everything and everyone and more easygoing with all perspectives. <clears throat> so whatever I say in these uh, teachings, in, in my teachings in general, take it easy. Take it light. Don't take it so serious. Play with it. Notice, how it, what, notice what it does with you. And I, it happens. I, I, I can't help myself that I sometimes say things which might f make you feel guilty or not good enough or, or like I need to work harder or I can't do this or something like this. But that's not what I want. I want to take away all this shit. But it's, I have not found the method to do it. <laughs> because we can... The perfectionist in us, or the I'm not good enough, a little me, uh, can take anything to to feel even worse. <laughs>